I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now, three-time Super Bowl champ, it is James White. James going to be coming back with us this season after Patriots games like last year. James, we're fired up, man. Happy to have you back. How are you, man? How's the summer gone? I know you're already busy doing stuff for the Big Ten Network, staying up late last night after the Big Ten games. How you been, man? I've been good. Can't complain. Like I said, I've been dabbling in the broadcast space, been doing Sirius XM since you know last September. Was trying to find some opportunities throughout the year, and Finally auditioned for Big Ten probably like four months ago or so, and finally got started last week, and it's been fun. Obviously, college is a little different. There's a lot more players, coaching changes, transfer portal, so having to study up on all that was a different beast. But I said, I've, been, I've been enjoying it so far. They have a good crew that I get to work with, a lot of guys who've been working there for a long time, so makes it easy. And it's just funny because – like some of the same guys that interviewed me when I was playing are still working there. So it's, it's funny, how, <laughs> funny how that all works. <laughs> it's crazy too. Like you mentioned the college stuff is I'm watching, who was it? Washington. I see Michael Penix playing. I'm like, how old is this guy? I know like everybody basically got an extra year, right? Because of COVID. Yeah, so that's... some of these guys are there for like six years. It's like yeah. you got like 25, 26 year olds playing college football. It's kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I wonder when that last this has to be like one of the final classes of that, like him, JT Daniels is like a few of those guys who got to be like 25, 26 years old, still playing college ball. But hey, might as well use the, the eligibility if you can keep getting it. Why not? Hey, why not? So JT Daniels, that's the guy that he was at USC, right? Is yeah. he at West Virginia now? No, Rice. He, okay, Rice. <laughs> but who did he play yesterday? He played Texas? Uh, I, I'm I not forget. even sure. I'm not even sure. I just remember, <laughs> like, I was watching one of these games, and they mentioned JT Daniels, not that you mentioned. I know he's at Georgia, too. And he had played, like, three – he had played a team three times, but he had done it with three different <laughs> schools. schools. <laughs> 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 it's time on the NFL. 
Yeah, I'm like, dude, this is crazy. All right, so, James, before we get into the Patriots, since we're on the college football thing, I got to ask you about Colorado because Deion Sanders and company, they have that huge win against TCU, which that was an awesome game, so much fun. But this guy, Travis Hunter, okay, he's the number two recruit by most services like two years ago in the country. He played 144 snaps in 100-degree weather. He had an interception on defense. He's their number one corner. He had 11 receptions, 119 yards as a receiver. And I remember, like, to bring up the Patriots, Jabril Peppers, when he was at Michigan, he was, like, up for the Heisman. He would occasionally come in yeah, on like, offense, like, yeah, occasionally, like five right? Five plays like, a game. Yeah, right? I don't, I don't understand how this is sustainable. Like, I mean, in, look, you, you've played in the NFL. You've played in college football. Like, the level, the fitness level this kid has to have, like, I don't know how this is humanly possible because it's not like he's playing quarterback and then he's playing, like, somewhere— He's literally running routes and then defending routes. Like, I don't even know. Like, I don't know how he makes it the whole season. Deion Sanders just said he's him, so he's not worried about it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's truly impressive. He's one of a kind. I mean, ever since Prime got him at Jackson State and seeing how, you know, highly talented of a recruit he was, that got my attention right away. And just watching him at Jackson State, he was making plays there on both sides of the ball. But he didn't, he didn't play as much receivers what he did, you know, uh, yesterday or whatever yeah. it was against – against TCU, but to play a hundred something snaps on both sides of the ball in a fort whatever the 45 or to 52 point game, whatever it was, that's that's insane in a with like a hundred degree weather. I mean that's that's not suspect not sustainable. He's not gonna last the whole season doing that. But when it comes down to when they play the big games like USC, Oregon, all that, I'm sure he's gonna be out there, you know, 90% of the time. So that's what they're they're asking him to do. He's willing to step up for the challenge. I just hope he stays healthy, he doesn't wear down. But he's a He's a truly gifted athlete, as you can tell. I mean, it's yeah. probably he's probably the the one and only, if not probably like two other people who could possibly do what he just did on Saturday. But it's it's impressive to watch, and I think obviously he idolizes Deion Sanders. You know, Deion did it, but I'm I don't even think Deion did that many snaps in the game for on both sides. Of, well, I don't know. I have to go back and look at that. But yeah, that's. that's that's special. That's a special talent to have an interception, 100 plus yards receiving, play 100 plus snaps. I haven't it's seen freaky. anything like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's unreal. It's like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I was watching the game, like, literally, I was watching it with one of my brothers, and I'm literally, like, in amazement. I'm like, how, wait, that's the same guy? How is he still out there? And I obviously, I didn't see a ton of Jackson State last year, but. Right away, I'm like Googling the kid. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's like one of the best players in the country. And then you yeah. see it. It's like this is this is unbelievable. And that game was awesome, too. Just like the energy of Deion Sanders, that team, too. I, lo I like the, the kid that scored uh, Edwards. He scored yeah. the, the big, long touchdown at the beginning of the second half. And then he, he hit TCU with the Steph Curry celebration. Like, I'm putting you to sleep. <laughs> so, yeah. Having flashbacks to the NBA finals. Steph Curry doing that to the Celtics. I'm like, all right. Yeah, that, I don't need that, to see that anymore. That kid, that kid's special, too. Dylan Edwards, he's a freshman, man. That's one thing about it. Like this is his his first year there. Obviously, he you know booted all the the guys that were on the roster last year off, <laughs> off the roster. Got his own guys in there, and to have that quick of a turnaround and go out on the road against TCU. I know TCU doesn't have the same team, you know, some of their big time players that they had last year, but it's still a a very impressive win to start your season off. And I said, there's only gonna, I mean, even if he doesn't win, there's gonna be more talent coming on that roster, and for him to. Be able to win those games against the TCU. Don't let them beat USC and Oregon, or just just one of them. That's that's really going to be the turning point. It's going to be a lot of guys, you know, trying to get to Colorado because obviously yeah. he's he's done at the highest level, you know, as a player. Now he's finally getting his opportunity to coach at the Division One, you know, Power Five conference, all that. 
he's going to attract a lot of attention, a lot of eyes, and a lot of talent. It's going to be scary for college football. I'm sure they're going to try and, you know, that transfer portal thing, they're going to try and put some little bit of sanctions or a little bit more guidance on there because for him to turn that program around, they won, what, one game last year or two games? I don't know whatever it was. Yeah. If they win, they go over 500. Or I, I think they're going to go over 500. I know a lot of people were questioning you know, how they were going to be. Their defense has to tighten it up some, but yeah. that's kind of that's kind of the nature of most college football teams. Most teams don't play defense, so <laughs> yeah, it's amazing though. It's like the, it's the best story. It was the best story of the weekend, without question. Like now, I'm all in. Like I'm going to definitely be watching at noon <laughs> next week, and they're playing Nebraska. Like, it's oh, totally man. exciting, and like to see a guy that was that big of a star, like Deion Sanders one of the best players in the history of the NFL. We don't ordinarily see these guys become head coaches, right? Like you don't see Joe Montana. I'm pretty sure Tom Brady is never going to be coaching. Like Ray Lewis is not going to be the head coach of a team in the NFL. I wouldn't (laughs) think like you don't usually see this type of stuff, right? And he's Randy Moss. He's probably not going to be an NFL coach. You don't see these like star level players like the Peyton Manning probably has no interest in doing like stuff like that. And Deion Sanders is now like has this program going. It's pretty cool to see. But Anyway, we do. I do want to get to the Patriots, even though this is like I would be able to talk about this all night because it was <laughs> awesome. But a former college coach, Bill O'Brien, he was hired for the Patriots. And one of the things we've talked about, James, in the offseason is he's implemented a lot of the RPO game. Right. We've seen it in, in, even in the preseason. So in the limited action that you've seen from the Patriots in the preseason or just from things you're hearing from practices, what jumps out to you about going from Patricia to O'Brien? Like anything in particular, scheme-wise, just mentality-wise, what stuck out to you so far since the change? Uh, for me, I got to go out there one day during minicamp and just to see, you know, the execution. You know, on a, I was there for one day, but just see the execution from, you know, individual period to, you know, routes on the air to seven-on-seven seven to competing against, you know, the defense and all that, just like the – the energy was there. The crispness was there. The ball wasn't hitting the ground as much. And obviously Bill O'Brien's a guy who's done it for a long time. Matty P, Joe Judge, they had never done it before. It's a little bit different. There's a standard and a, I guess, an expectation that he has set in place, you know, for Matty P, Joe Judge. Like they were, they're learning on the fly. So it was really tough for those guys. They're put in a tough position. But I think with Billy O, obviously coming off last season, you know, he's not going to want to have the offense have the same, you know, sort of drop off what it was last year. So I think obviously he's a hard-nosed football coach. He knows what he's talking about. And like you can see, you know, like on the sideline during preseason when Bailey Zappi wasn't, you know, doing the right things. You can <laughs> you can see the, you know, the the, the verbal, you know, kind of confrontation, whatever you want to call yeah. it. And the whatever you want to see when they're three and out or he misses on an out route on third down, something like that. He's gonna let you know when you're not doing things the right way. And I think that's the type of coaching that those guys are going to need. That's the type of coaching that we're used to having there, you know, on the New England Patriots. And I think just because the standard is set, the expectation is so high to go out there and have success. And I think it's everything that they need. And he's going to demand, you know, greatness. He's going to demand the best out of each and every player on that field, or you're not going to be out there. Yeah. And I kind of like the whole idea of like blending some of the concepts that you guys have with McDaniels to him bringing some of the stuff that he had at Alabama, the collegiate level, because we've seen those offenses sort of, take over the NFL at some points as well. So I love seeing it. And he's yelling at Bailey Zappi. I mean, this guy got one at it with Brady. He's certainly <laughs> going to let Bailey yeah, Zappi yeah. know. And unfortunately for Bailey Zappi, they just brought in Corral, who's a guy yeah. that comes from a heavy RPO system as well. So I would imagine that 
Bailey Zappi is going to be like, what happened to me over the past, like, less than a year? I mean, this guy was playing well when he came in a mop-up duty. But I will say, like, he he looked really uncomfortable yeah. in the offense throughout the preseason. So with Mac Jones, we heard Matthew, Ju- a bunch of veterans, Matthew Judon in particular, said that he's really impressed with Mac. He actually said he's always impressed with Mac. But it seems like he's got just a great command of this offense. Obviously, like, we talk about O'Brien coming from Alabama. Mac Jones played in that <laughs> offense in Alabama. So... What are your expectations for Mac this season? I think he's going to have a much better, obviously, than last season. I think he's going to have an even better year than what he had his rookie year. I think, you know, coming in as a rookie, you know, learning the Josh McDaniels offense and, you know, winning the starting job in your rookie season definitely isn't easy in a New England Patriots system. So that was already impressive as it was. I know last year was extremely tough for him. For this year, I'm sure, obviously, he watched the game tape. He was frustrated, you know, all last year. He knows he needs to improve. He knows like obviously the whole offense wasn't in the best position to go out there and be successful last year. So I know he's chomping at the bit. Everybody's talking about everybody else within the conference and within the division, how much better they are the off season, how much better their quarterbacks are. So I think he's going to be highly motivated and he's a guy who's, who works extremely hard. He does he's not flashy like some of those other guys that are in the conference or whatever, but he, the thing that he has, he has the knowledge. He knows how to command the offense. He knows how to get in and out of checks, you know, the mic points, all that stuff. Everything you need technically as a quarterback, he has all that, and he can make all the throws as well. So I think the matchup between him and Bill O'Brien, obviously Bill O'Brien coached at Alabama. He wasn't there, but I'm sure they have some of the same terminology from when he was there. So the, I think they'll be speaking sort of the same language, and I think that'll help tremendously. So I think Mack will be due for a big year this year. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I can't wait to see what this offense actually like when Matt gets extended time on like that second preseason game. I can't (laughs) wait to see what it looks like now. Obviously, it's going to be difficult. You're going up against a team that had 70 sacks last season, so it could be tough. But I can't (laughs) wait to see it a week from tonight as we're recording Sunday night. So the other thing is, if you look at this running back room, it's interesting because if you go back like. When you were there, you were the third down back. You were the pass catching back. Before you, it's like the Patriots always had these guys, right? Shane Vereen played really well in that 2014 run. Before him, it was like Danny Woodhead going all the way back to Kevin Falk and J.R. Redman. Like, you guys always had that traditional pass catching back. And at times, you guys would just, like, scratch the running game. Like, I think about that Atlanta Super Bowl where it's just like you were playing basically the whole game, right? They did that previously with Shane Vereen. They do it with Danny Woodhead. And if you look at it now, you bring in a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, obviously veteran in the league, to go along with Ramondre Stevenson, who I think we talked about it last year, kind of established himself as one of the best running backs in the NFL. But what do you think sort of the idea is with, and I like the Zeke move, but I'm just wondering, so do you think they think with this it's more like, hey, either one of these guys can play on third down. They're interchangeable. We don't need that traditional position that we've always had in the offense. You think that's sort of the idea there? And do you like it? Do you like the running back tandem of Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott? I think it'll be a little bit different. Yeah, they may not have a guy, you know, who's set out just specifically as a sub back, third down back, but you don't necessarily have to have that when you have two guys who can play on first, second, third down. Like you said, I think that's what's going to be their MO this year. Both guys can stay out on the field for an entire drive or, you know, when a guy gets tired, all that, I think that's going to be their MO this year. And I think it's going to be great. Ramondre can play on third down. His route running ability has gotten better and better. He can catch the football. Zeke is obviously a guy who can do very similar things. I think they're almost very similar players. And I think they're going to lead into that run game downhill, getting those guys in space. I think that's what it's going to be. It may not, you know, be a bunch of isolation routes and empty and all that, but I mean, it could eventually turn into that, but, 
then that's just going to be it's going to be a one two punch. They don't have to have a guy who's just maybe they may find a guy, whoever, maybe somebody else. Maybe Ty Montgomery ends up coming off, you know, practice squad, whatever he is on now, right now. And if he can prove that he can stay healthy, he could be sort of that guy because he's a guy who can obviously play receiver and running back. So he could be that matchup guy. But I'm sure they'll figure it out. I think in the beginning of the season, it's going to be Ramondre and Zeke, and they'll just kind of play off one another. Yeah. And the other thing I was looking at is if you look at this receiving course, so. Last year, Jacoby Myers was targeted 96 times, the most on the team. He only played in 14 games. Ramondre was second with 88. And then you have to go all the way down to Hunter Henry at third at 59. So 30 le- 37 less than Jacoby. If you go to 2021, 126 for Jacoby Myers. Then you had Hunter Henry at 75. Bourne was at 70. So if you look at the pass catchers and tight ends, three guys over 70 that year compared to last year, just one over 60. Or in terms of like the tight ends and the receivers, not counting Ramondre in this. So... What do you, like, if you go back to 2021, Jacoby still had 51 more targets than anybody else on the team. Like, nobody was really close to him, right? So if you look at this group, you bring in Juju Smith-Schuster, Kendrick Bourne is reemerged, which, you know, I'm really pumped about that, James, because we didn't see much of him last year. Devontae Parker, we know what he is. He's the guy on the outside. He's going to be the contested catch guy. The big play guy is over 17 yards per reception last season. But what do you think? Do you think we have like three guys that are close in receptions? Or do you think that one of these three guys at the top sort of emerges? Or could it be Hunter Henry? One of these guys emerges as like definitively because Jacoby Myers was that for two years. He was the definitive number one option. Do you think the Patriots, it's more of a by committee thing? Or do you think it turns out to be one of these guys? I think this year will be a little bit more by committee. I think when it came to Jacoby getting the most targets, those, you know, those two seasons, there's a lot of new faces. You know, on the roster of 2021, 2022, that didn't play in the Josh McDaniel system. And Jacoby was that guy who had, who had yeah. been in it, had played in the system for so long. So I know playing for Josh, he's, the ball's going to the guys who he, who he trusts, <laughs> who, who he knows is going to get open. Just like if, if Julian was there, be that would have been Julian getting the 122 targets, not Jacoby. Jacoby would have had the, you know, 50 targets, something like that. So he, the ball's going to the guys who he knows is going to be in the right places, who's going to read the coverages and all that. So that's. That's the reason for that, but you know, okay. Bill, O'Bri- Bill O'Brien, he's he's coming in. I said, doesn't know any of these guys. I mean, he knows like Gasecki, all those guys. He probably knows these guys from across the league, but it's going to be all about, you know, which guys get open, what what routes can you run well? Are you going to, you know, go out there and beat man-to-man coverage? How can I use in those situations? I think eventually as the season goes on, I'm sure there'll be one person who ends up taking a little bit more of the targets versus somebody else, but – in the beginning, I feel like the tight ends are going to play a huge part in this. I know, you know, Billy O obviously coached, you know, Gronk, you know, I don't know if he just missed Aaron Hernandez, but like those two tight end types of things, Gusecki and Hunter Henry, I feel like they'll be used a lot. And defense is going to have to figure out, are they going to match up both guys with a linebacker? Which are you going to put a safety on Gusecki, a linebacker on Hunter Henry? How are they going to handle that, that whole situation? I feel like that can cause a lot of matchup problems for defenses if both of those guys can stay healthy. Yeah, and Hunter Henry is really good in 2021. He had nine yeah. touchdowns. He had an outstanding yeah. season for them. He's just, and he played a lot last year. It's just he wasn't as involved in the passing game as we saw the previous year. So I don't think that was really Hunter Henry's fault. I think that was no. more about <laughs> maybe the, the guys calling the plays. Like, yeah. I think that's what it, and I don't want to keep like harping <laughs> on it because we did it a lot last year. But I mean, the reality is what the reality is with what happened last year. But so what did you think when Jacoby left for the Raiders and they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster? Were you surprised by that? Because I haven't talked to you since then, because basically it was the same contract, yeah, right, that they yeah. both got. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely a little bit surprised, especially after seeing them having almost the exact same contract. But 
Now, that's the nature of the beast. It happens. Free agency, you honestly never know what's going to happen. But like I said, Josh is a guy who's fully confident. Jacoby Myers, a guy who's played in this system. So that definitely makes sense when it comes to that. And I know Juju Smith, I know Bill has always been a fan of his ever since we, you know, maybe oh. even watching him, watch him in college when we played him his rookie year. You know, in Pittsburgh, he he killed us. That guy. I feel like he had like a hundred some yards. You know, right after catching all that stuff. So if you do like a performance like that against us, obviously Bill's going to be pretty intrigued by that. And I said, I, I don't think Juju's necessarily necessarily. I think Jacoby's a better route runner than he is, but Juju's better run after the catch, a little bit more physical and whatnot. He can throw his body in there. He's hard to bring down. So you know that they, they each have their you know. Styles of play in a sense, but I think Juju fits well in this system. I said he can stretch the field vertically as well. He's pretty fast. He look has like that deceptive speed. He's not a blazer, but he can get by you. So I, I'll be interested to see how you they use him this upcoming season. I didn't really see too much of him. I don't think he did. He play this preseason? I don't no, really he he barely. Put, he was he's dealing with like a like little knee thing during training yeah. camp too. He says he's good to go. I mean, we'll okay. see. On, like he's gonna play, but we'll see yeah. if that knee like barks during the season at all because I know he. It bothered him during the Super Bowl and after the Super Bowl. So hopefully it's not something that yeah. irritates him throughout the season. Uh, yeah. Speaking of speed, how about Demario Pop Douglas? This guy yeah. came out of nowhere. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this this is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to see them unleash him because right now it looks like he's the fourth guy in terms of the receiving depth chart. But he didn't really play much in preseason. And yeah. my buddy Andrew Callahan from the Herald, <laughs> he was basically like, the reason he's not playing, he's a made man. He already yeah. made the team. Yeah. Like everybody wanted to see him. He's like, hey, he, he already made the team. So I can't, I want to see him too. That'll be interesting. I feel bad that Thornton got hurt because yeah. it, same thing last year. It seems like he just, he Hold can't up. get started <laughs> right now. But hopefully they get some young receiving production from Demario Douglas or maybe Kayshawn Booty who flashed at the end of training camp. But the offensive line, these guys have been banged up. On Wenyu's coming off an injury, as we know. Reef's dealing with an injury. They tried to move him inside, which I thought was perplexing considering he's in his mid-30s and he's played tackle his entire career. I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of thrown off by that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, and then he got hurt playing that position, you know, like playing a different position. Cole Strange been banged up too. And look, I think for years we sort of took the offensive line for granted because with Dante Scarnecchia here, it was like always good. I remember one year in... What was it, 2015, you guys had issues with the offensive line. I remember that AFC championship game where Brady just got beat up like crazy. And then the next year, Dante Scardecki is back coaching the (laughs) offensive line again. And I can go back to, what was it, 2019, where David Andrews was out for the season. And that year, you had some issues with the tackles as well. I remember Marshall Newhouse was playing tackle. He had some issues. But really, like the point is, you can only think of a couple of times that the Patriots have had had real issues with the offensive line. They had issues last year, and it does seem like right now, if you're looking at one of the big-time concerns for this team entering the season, it would be this group. So how concerned are you about this group, James? Just because, like, these guys haven't even really had an opportunity to play together in camp, really. Yeah, I'm definitely a little bit concerned. Like you kind of alluded to, that 2015 season, the biggest issue with the offensive line was guys just in and out of the lineup every single week. I feel like we had, like, 20 different, you know, starting, starting offensive lines throughout the season. You know, by the time we faced the Broncos, who probably had one of the best, probably the best defense line in the league at that point. And, you know, guys coming off injuries, we didn't really stand a chance. So if those guys aren't on the field consistently together, it's going to be hard for them to gel and build chemistry. I think that's one of the most overlooked things when it comes to offensive line. Obviously, you can have, you know, three great offensive linemen. But if you're shuffling two different guys in there every single week at the different positions, 
they're not going to be on the same page when it comes to passing off games with the fronts and communicating fronts and ID and everything. So I think as long as you can keep, you know, those same five guys, you know, Trent, Cole Strange, you know, David Andrews, you know, whoever the rest of the guys, Mike Umwaynew, whoever those five guys are going to be, as long as those guys are on the field consistently throughout the season, I think they'll, that'll allow for them to gel and everything will be just fine. Obviously, none of those guys really played this preseason and the offensive line really struggled. So I don't think that was a realistic look of what it's going to be. Right. But if, but if all those guys, you know, aren't healthy or aren't healthy at different points throughout the season, it's going to make it tough on Mac. It's going to make it tough on the backs. It's going to be tough to execute offense because obviously everything starts from up front. If you can't block, no, you can't do anything. You can't run. You can't pass. So, but as long as those guys, Trent, David Andrews, Mike, Cole Strange, and whoever that fifth guy is, if they're healthy and they're cohesive, everything will be fine. Yeah, I hope th- I hope they get healthy because, I mean, I almost feel bad for Adrian Clem. I mean, it's great you're coaching the offensive line in the NFL. He, had, he did a great job at Oregon. Like, Bo Nix, that guy barely gets touched. It's like, all of a sudden, you take this job as the, off- or as the uh, offensive line coach for the Patriots, and it's like you're in training camp. You can't even work with all these yeah, guys. Yeah, you got whole star line banged up. Yeah, that's, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. All right, so Devin McCourty obviously retires after the season, and I was just looking at it. He played 97% of the snaps last season. <laughs> so we're all confident that this defense is going to be really good. I think it's going to, on paper, it's better than the group they even had last year. And the group they had last year was really good. It was a really good unit. But I just wonder with the Devin McCourty absence. So just first of all, like replacing the snaps, like we think about the leadership <laughs> and all that. It's 97% of the snaps, yeah, right? So yeah. how do you think they sort of replace A, the player? Like how are they going to replace that role? And B, sort of the leader, like it maybe it's not that exact position. Maybe it's Bentley, who's already we know is a leader. Maybe it's Jabril Peppers or Duggar takes more of a leadership role. Like, how do you think they replace A the player, and then of course B just the leadership that Devin McCourty brought? Uh, the player that'll definitely be by committee. You know, Duggar, Adrian Phillips, um, Jabril Peppers, Jalen Mills. Those guys are very interchangeable. You know, there's going to be times where each and one of those guys line up at free safety. There's going to be times where those guys line up at you know, the nickel position is going to be guys. Some of those guys are going to line up at linebacker at some point. So they're going to be – and I think that's going to create a lot of confusion for a lot of defenses to kind of figure out how to ID that. And Bill does that every single season, you know, putting three safeties on the field, four – but six safeties on the field. He really could. He loves safeties that much. That's why you always see us have like six safeties on the roster because you never know how to match up against those types of defenses. But the second part when it comes to leadership, I think that will fall upon Jonathan Jones. He's a guy who's been there – you know, the longest out of all those guys, the longest tenure. And he's become more of a vocal leader, you know, as as he's gotten older throughout that system. A guy who was challenged last year playing outside. He handled himself extremely well. You know, I'm not sure what his role is going to be this year, whether it's going to be outside, inside, you know, safety. He's a guy who can play safety as well. He he knows how to do it. So, I mean, you never know. Bill likes the, the versatility. He loves that at every single position, especially at safety. Because, like I said, any one of those guys can rotate to the middle, play down the box, play in the slot. So I think that's what it's going to be. Nobody's going to just replace all 97% of Devin McCourty snaps because obviously Devin's a different player than each and every one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. I do like the point, though, about like kind of confusing the opponent by like having all these different safe- – and they just drafted Marte Mapu, who's kind of like a yeah, linebacker yeah, safety yeah. hybrid, too. <laughs> yeah. like, they got a million of those type of players. Yeah. I'd be interested to see how they use him. I feel like they might use him week one when it comes to a guy like like Jalen Hurts, third little third down package, and line him up in the middle, kind of spy spy Jalen Hurts a little bit, whatever it may be. He's a he's a different kind of athlete. He's 
he's a seen him at many games. He's, he's a pretty big dude. So I don't I don't know exactly where they're gonna line him up, but it's gonna be I don't think he'll be in the middle of the field. I feel like he'll be like a slot defender or inside the box on a third down type of thing. I'm sure they have some special package for him. They do have some huge safeties. Like Duggar is a <laughs> yeah, specimen. Huge, that guy's yeah. massive. And Jabril Peppers, yeah, I mean, Jabril's he's diesel, massive. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are solid, big back yeah. there. Yeah, they are big back there. And then you think about the pass rush. They averaged 3.2 sacks per game last year. That was third in the NFL. They had 54 total. They were really good. And if you look at this group, Dietrich Wise had his best season as a pass rusher. Josh Uche, we talked about it on the show last year after the games. Yeah. He had a breakout season. Matthew Judon had his best season in his second year with the Patriots. He just, like, keeps getting better. Barmore <laughs> entering year three. Maybe this is like the breakout for Barmore. I thought it was going to happen yeah. last year, but he dealt yeah, with a lot he of health. He wasn't healthy. I got to yeah. see my guy get them sacks. I challenged him during minicam. I'm like, oh, let's see how many sacks you're going to get this year. He, What'd he, he say? He's he like, I don't know. I forgot the exact number he said, but I, I won't say that live. But I think <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a difference maker. He's a character. That's that's one of my my young guys right there. He, he, he brings the energy. He's competitive. He, he's a good football player. Just got to stay healthy, obviously. And he get. It could be a huge difference maker for that defense, but that defensive line, yeah, they'll be coming. I think it's going to play a huge part. You know, some younger players in that secondary, that defensive front is going to have to get to those quarterbacks, especially early on in the season. They'll get challenged, especially week one. You know, that the, the Eagles' offense is extremely challenging. I know they have a different you know, offensive coordinator this year, but I'm sure they're going to be running a lot of the same stuff. And those guys are going to be isolated. It's going to be RPOs. You know, your eyes going to have to be in the right place at all times. So. They're going to be challenged that defensive front, the front seven in general, going to have to back, have those guys back all year long. Yeah, how tough is a matchup is that for the defense, having to yeah. deal with that in week one? And it's not just like the scheme's unbelievable. The quarterback, obviously, I mean, you line, can make an argument. The offensive line. Yeah, the offensive <laughs> line is good. The defense on the other side. But then they have A.J. Brown. They have Devontae Smith. I mean, yeah. it's just ridiculous. I, they brought in, what, DeAndre Swift? I mean, yeah. That's it. Like the Patriots are gonna have a really good defense, and not to mention like Keon White. I love that pick. He's an yeah. absolute beast. And so, but I mean, just having to prepare for that type of offense in Week One—that's got to be difficult. And it's like the team too. It's a really, really good football team. They just played in the yeah. Super Bowl. It's you know, it's not just the scheme; it's the talent too. Yeah, that that team's really good. But I think I think you would rather almost play in Week One because they're not hmm. you know in mid-season form. You know, Week Seven, Week Eight. Week one, there's a lot of things up in the air. There's a lot of unknown. And they, like I said, that, that chemistry is not going to be built. I know they made it to the Super Bowl last year, but you don't just roll out, you know, week one, you know, just start mashing everybody. So I think week one is going to be a, it's going to be a great matchup. It's going to be a, a huge challenge. There's a, a talented football team at every single position. But I think the Patriots are, are talented as well. And it's a, a great measuring stick game to me to kind of see where you're at week one. Yeah. Can you remember a time that they were this deep? In the yeah. D line, like the the pass <laughs> rush, I can't like if you yeah, go back to insane. when you were with the organization, James. Like you think about it, like you guys, a tw- the twenty sixteen team, you were pretty deep there, and uh, Flowers had seven sacks. Chris Long was like a really good pickup yeah. for you guys, even though yeah. it wasn't like Nick, the perfect scheme for him. Yeah, Nankovich was still there, yeah, and I mean Hightower is obviously like a really yeah. good pass rusher from the linebacker position, and then your rookie area, Chandler and yeah. Nankovich. But just in terms of the overall depth, I can't remember yeah. a time that. At least in like this recent era, like the yeah. post 2010, that it's been this deep. Yes, yeah, extremely deep. You know, defensive line room. They're like eight deep. You know that the second defensive line can come in, they can create pressure, can stop the run as well. So it's they're gonna play a huge part in that defensive success, uh, which they have. You know, for the last several seasons, obviously Judon's the bell cow. Uche had a huge year. Dietrich Wise, very underrated. Gotchow, 
you know, Lawrence guy, oh, yeah. stout stout guys in the front, and Barmore right in the mix. And Keon White, I like I, I like what I saw from him, you know, this preseason as well. Um, he'll be a good rotational player to, you know, spell some of those guys too. So I think it'll be huge this upcoming season for them to disrupt offenses. And by the way, so you mentioned week one. The uh, Brady guys coming back to, <laughs> to get honored, <laughs> which it, it, I can't wait to see him come back to Gillette and just because it, it's weird, like obviously you were his teammate, James, but like from a fan's perspective, it was like he had these years in Tampa and now ever since he's retired, you know, he's more like, you not I don't want to see United, but he's doing more stuff with the Patriots, right? Like he was in that video with Devin McCourty when like yeah. uh, the, 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 like, the video house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty funny. Tom Manson's story says he got room for one more. And I saw like, he spent some time with Mac. I don't know how long it was, but he, yeah. there was a picture with him and Mac during the off season as well. Like, I think the place is just going to be absolutely electric. Like, have you talked to any of your former teammates? Like, do you know how many guys, like are a lot of the his former teammates going? I'm sure there'll be a lot of guys there. I know they sent out an email to like, like a couple months ago, like if you if you plan on coming to, you know, put the request in for your tickets. I mean, I won't be there at the game, but I know it's going to be electric. I know, you know obviously the fans are going to love it. They haven't seen Tom and what like to be going on with three years, two years, whatever it is. So it's going to be it's going to be electric in the stadium. I feel like that'll bring a lot of extra juice. Everybody's going to be fired up playing the Eagles, the team, you know, who the Patriots fans, I'm sure they don't necessarily like. They got us in the Super Bowl a few years ago. So I'm sure everybody's pissed off still about that. But yeah. I think it's great that they're bringing him back to the stadium. Like I said to honor a guy who's done so much for the organization, greatest player of all time. It's gonna be fun. Like I said, I'm sure the fans will love it. Players will be fired up. Got got to get a dub from Mr. Brady, right? <laughs> I know. I hope that would be awesome. He, how about his retirement so far, man? He he's not taking any rest. I mean, well, for, he, he's taking a lot of he's taking a lot of pics. I'll yeah, say yeah, that he's, he's, taking, he's, a he's taking a lot of pictures, a lot of uh, a lot of TMZ rumors yeah. out there with Brady throughout the off season. But uh, he's buying teams, like man, it looks like he's having a good time. And he, I, he's not going to do the Fox thing, I guess, until next season. But I mean, he's still like in the mix. He's still relevant everywhere. And obviously, Week One, he's going to be front and center. It's going to be one of the biggest storylines in the NFL, but it's crazy to think about it. Like the last time that we had an NFL season without Tom Brady, like on a roster was 1999. It's, it's pretty insane. It's no Tom, no Ben Roethlisberger, no Peyton Manning, that no Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers. It's crazy. Like, you know, growing up watching those guys and to now see, you know, Aaron Rodgers, the last guy left probably out of all those guys. It's going to be weird. I mean, obviously, the, the young guys are extremely talented. They have all the arm talent and, you know, all the mental capacity to be just as good as some of those guys. But the end of an era, that's that's for sure. It's crazy. I, I cannot imagine, like, driving out of Gillette on next Sunday, how oh, long yeah. it's going to take. Oh, it, it already takes long enough to get out of there. It's going to be ridiculous on that Sunday with Tom Brady. Oh, so, hey, before I let you go, just on the division, because you mentioned Rodgers. Who do you think's better, Miami or the Jets? Because this is sort of like a topic of conversation. Now, I still believe the Bills are the class of the division, even if maybe they're not the same. Like the whole Diggs situation seemed weird, where he was yelling at Allen at the end of the offseason, at the end of that playoff game, and then they sort of had a weird thing going on during the preseason. But they say that they've sort of figured that whole thing out. I still think they're the best team in the division, and Allen's been incredible over the past few years. But that what who do you think out of Miami and the Jets? I mean, the Jets offensive line stinks. So we were talking about the Patriots. Yeah. Their line's a mess. Yeah. It's tough. I it's so hard to say. 
when it comes to the Bills, I mean, I guess I would give them the edge just because they've won the division the last few years. But I don't think they're that much better than anybody else. I think losing Tremaine Edmonds in the middle, I think that's going to be a huge loss for them. Obviously, you have the Diggs and Josh Allen and the head coach, Sean McDermott. I think that's just a whole weird you know, situation. We'll see if that you know plays any factors in this upcoming season. But to me, I feel like their time to win it, like I feel like it almost has passed. And they think it's just because they won a division the last few years, they can just roll out, win it again, and they're going to have their opportunity to win the Super Bowl. But everybody's gotten better. I feel like I might take the the Dolphins, you know, over the Jets as far as who may be better. But then again, the Dolphins are one hit away or one tackle away from their season being messed up when it comes yeah. to Tua. So it's it's tough, man. But Aaron Rodgers has looked. I mean, he he played a minimal amount during the the preseason, but I know he's rejuvenated. He's energized to go out there and you know prove he's still that guy, which obviously he is. I'm just interested to see like. Who else is getting the ball to aside from, you know, Garrett Wilson? I know they have McCole Harmon, Corey Davis retired. You know, who's going to be that other guy? It's going to have to be somebody else because I'm doubling Garrett Wilson. So everybody else figure it out. I'm trying to trying to see what else y'all can do. Obviously, they got Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall. I mean, we'll see if that offensive line can open up running lanes. I mean, those guys are special by themselves, but offensive line is going to have to block. But this, I mean, so, some team in the division is not going to be as good as what everybody's making them out to be. So, I, yeah. I don't think the and I don't think the Patriots are going to be as bad as everybody thinks they're going to be. So it's going it's going to be funny. Could have been the playoffs last year with the offense, you know, just trying yeah. to figure figure it out on a on a game to game basis. So well, think about it. Just the and look, he was the best player on the offense last year. But Ramondre's fumble against the Bengals, yeah. and then yep. Jacoby's play against yeah. the Raiders. I mean, yep. those are two games right there, yeah. and the Minnesota I, game. Yeah, Minnesota game. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's some of the worst special teams play you'll ever see. And the Patriots yeah. are right there that year. I liked the over. I mean, I liked it. seven and a half. I feel like. Yeah, is low I, for the Patriots. Yeah, I like I the over, the over there. I, <laughs> I think they're going to be good. You know what kills me, though, is Damian Harris is on the Bills, man. Like, that, yeah, that kind of sucks. Guy, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, you just, know, like, when he signed there, you thought, I, Yeah, I know he'll be juiced up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going to be fired. Yeah. That's going to be a fun I'm with you fun. on the Dolphins, though. I think that the, we talk about, obviously, here locally, it was huge to get Bill O'Brien for Mac Jones, but I think getting Fick Vangio for that defense, because yeah, it felt like they were trying to run the Flores defense, they didn't have Flores anymore. It wasn't going particularly well for them. They Now, Ramsey's going to be dealing with this injury. But, yeah, that Miami team is super talented. But I can't wait to get this season underway. That is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, thanks so much for the time, man. We'll chat pretty soon, man. The NFL season just around the corner. Cannot wait, man. And look forward to another year having you on, man. Likewise. Looking forward to it. Should be a, should be a good one. Should be a tough division this year. I mean, tough AFC in general. So it's going to be fun to watch. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. And I'm looking at a couple of Patriots futures. I like them to go over eight and a half wins. You can get that at good value at plus 220. And remember, this Patriots team won eight games last year, and they had two losses that come to mind. The Raiders game, where Jacoby Myers threw it away, literally, to Chandler Jones. And that Bengals game, the Patriots were going in to win that one, and unfortunately, Ramondre Stevenson fumbled. So I love that. Plus 220 for the Patriots to win over eight and a half games. I also like the Patriots to make the playoffs at plus 250. It's very good value there. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. 
So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. NFL Sunday ticket offer ends on September 18th, 2023. No refunds. Terms and embargoes apply. $100 off NFL Sunday ticket, not YouTube TV. YouTube TV base plan required to watch YouTube TV. Redemption requires a Google account and current form of payment. Commercial use excluded. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from James White. Cannot wait to break down every single Patriots game with James this season as we're almost there. Week away, baby. Let's go. All right, so some leftover Patriots thoughts I had. First of all, one of the big issues for this team, they had a lot of issues offensively, but one of the key things is going to be how they perform on first down because if you go back to last season, they were 24th in EPA per play on first down, expected points added. They were 12th in EPA per play on first down in 2021, so they were pretty good, well above average. If you go to success rate, which success rate basically just means if you gain 40% of the yards to go on first down, that's a successful play. 60% of the yards to go on second down, that's a successful play. 100% of the yards to go on third or fourth down, that's a successful play. So if you look at success rate for the Patriots on first down last season, it was 25th in the NFL at 41.1%. If you go to 2021, that number was at 46.5%, which was fourth in the NFL. It was behind only Green Bay, Tampa, and Kansas City. So, and remember, in 2021, that Green Bay team, Aaron Rodgers was the MVP. Tom Brady had an outstanding season in Tampa. He arguably could have won the MVP. And Kansas City had Mahomes. So that was the only team you were behind in terms of first down success rate two years ago. So at least that's a good sign. But... This is the big one. If you look at drop back success rate, if you go to last season, the Patriots were 26 in the NFL at 41.9% on first down. First down drop back success rate in 2021, third in the NFL at 53.2%. So we're talking about 23 points or spots rather in the rankings. And we're talking about 11.3 percentage points, just a massive difference from where they were the previous season, right? Like they completely fell off a cliff. If you just take Mac Jones, in 2022, he was 24th of 26 quarterbacks in success rate on first down with a minimum of 150 plays, 40.8%. The only guys worse than him were Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield, okay? And then if you go to 2021, they were fourth, or Mac rather, was fourth in success rate with a minimum of 150 plays at 52.6%. Behind only Rodgers, Wilson, and Brady. So we're talking about, from Mac's perspective, and it adds up with what the team was doing, 11.8 dip in percentage points and 20 spots in terms of the ranking in the NFL. So it isn't like Mac Jones got old last season, right? He was in his second year of the NFL. And like we referenced Wilson in there twice. He was really bad last year and he's really good the previous season. And if you look at Russell Wilson, he went from Shane Waldron in Seattle, who had a good scheme, right? Came from Sean McVay's coaching staff. And the whole let Russ cook thing, they let him do that in Denver with Nathaniel Hackett, one of the worst coaches in the NFL. Quite frankly, one of the worst coaches we've seen in recent NFL history. But if you look at the results, he dropped from a top three guy in success rate to a guy that was second worst in the NFL. 
What's the difference? The coaching. He went from Shane Waldron to Nathaniel Hackett. Look at Shane Waldron last year with Geno Smith, where he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL from a statistical perspective. So that's where this can apply to Mac Jones, right? Where Mac had his issues, no doubt. I'm not denying that Mac did. I'm not saying Mac played well, and none of this is his fault. You've heard me criticize Mac in the past. But if you look at the top five teams in first down success rate last season, the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the 49ers, the Saints, and the Eagles. Okay, so think about the play callers. Andy Reid with the Chiefs, enough said, one of the best play callers in NFL history. Mike McDaniel, who was unreal last season for Miami. Kyle Shanahan, arguably the best play caller in the NFL. Shane Steichen, who everybody considers elite and just got the job with Indianapolis. And the, the reason he got the job is his play calling. And then the Saints, it's Pete Carmichael, who's basically running Sean Payton's offense. He basically just took Sean Payton, who was one of the best play callers of his generation. We'll see if he can save Russell Wilson. But now he's running that offense that Sean Payton was running, right? Like he had one of the best teachers, right? It's like we talk about with Mike McDaniel coming from the Shanahan system, right? So the point is, yes, having Mahomes helps, having Jalen Hurts helps. But this is where the play caller can really make his hay on first down, right? Mac didn't all of a sudden last season forget how to play. The scheme was so bad that they couldn't do anything on first down. So McDaniels was really good two years ago. Even if sometimes we think like going back to Josh's time here, sometimes he got a little bit too cute, right? Like we can all agree on that. And we knew Patricia was just horrible, right? So the question becomes, what about Bill O'Brien? Can he get back to this team being a top 10 team in the NFL, at least in success rate on first down? And in particular, can he get the quarterback back to being in the top 10 at success rate in first down? So with Bill O'Brien, if you go back from... 2018 to 2020, when he had Watson, right? Because 17, I took that out because he only played seven games before tearing his ACL. So if you just go from 2018 to 2020, which covers three seasons, the Texans during that stretch, they were fourth in dropback success rate at 52.8%. Fourth in the NFL over a three-year period, first down success rate in terms of dropbacks. So Bill O'Brien showed the ability to design a really good first down offense when he had a good, competent quarterback. So this is just one huge thing that the Patriots have to be better at this season. And when Mac is playing on schedule, we know he can be really good, right? Mac gets hot. We've seen it on numerous occasions where when Mac gets in a rhythm, he looks really good. But when you fall behind the chains, you don't have the quarterback. And quite frankly, you don't have the pass catching options either. You become way too predictable. Like when you fall behind the chains, the Patriots can't do that. Yeah, Joe Burrow and the Bengals can afford to do that. Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs can afford to do that. The Patriots can't. So if O'Brien can have the effect that McDaniels had on the first down play calling, we're talking about a team that has a chance to be very, very efficient on offense. And we're not looking at a massive problem like the Patriots had last season. Okay, so another note on the Patriots, leftover thoughts here. They pick up Matt Corral late last week after we recorded on Tuesday or Thursday, rather. They picked him up, what, late Thursday, early Friday, whatever it was. So... Mark Daniels, this is just funny. He was the first person I saw tweet this out. The Patriots traded a third-round pick to Carolina in 2022, and the Panthers drafted Matt Corral with that pick. With the picks, the Patriots drafted Bailey Zappi and Marte Mapu, and now they have Corral. <laughs> so the pick goes back, the guy goes back to the Patriots. It's amazing. So pretty good value there, okay? And anyway, that's just a side note on all this. But we know there was aggravation with Bailey Zappi 
this summer, right? Like Bill O'Brien was aggravated with the way that he was playing, so they put him on waivers, okay? So this makes, and look, part of that, we went through it with Callahan on Thursday. Part of that was they needed to keep all these offensive linemen. They couldn't afford to lose them. They didn't think Zappi was going to get picked up, but you get the point. Zappi was not good during training camp. He was not good in the preseason. The interesting note on this, if you look at Matt Corral, Lane Kiffin coached him at Ole Miss. And remember, Lane Kiffin was the former offensive coordinator at Alabama. Remember, that's where Bill O'Brien comes from. So one of the things that we've talked about since Bill O'Brien was hired was taking the low-hanging fruit in the NFL, using play action, using the RPO game. So if you look at total play action, in 2021, Corral's final season at Ole Miss, he threw for 2,207 yards out of play action. This is via Pro Football Focus. That was first in college football that season. And this is what we're seeing is with Bill O'Brien, they want to use play action, and in particular, they really want to dig into the RPO game. So if you look at the RPOs, this is via Sports Information Solutions. He was at 107 attempts out of RPOs in 2021 at Ole Miss. That was the seventh most at the collegiate level that season. He was 81 of 107, so that's good, 75.7%. So this makes a lot of sense. Corral was really good in the RPO scheme at Ole Miss, just like Mack was really good in the RPO scheme at Alabama. So this goes back to this whole idea what if Mac misses time, right? Bill O'Brien needs to feel comfortable to step in for somebody to step in rather and at least do it for a couple of games. And Corral, based on what he did at the collegiate level, this is sort of the prototype that Bill O'Brien is looking for in RPO quarterback. That's what Matt Corral thrived at at the collegiate level. He wants a guy that can play fast and that can execute his offense. Bailey Zappi had not proven to be that guy. Corral is, and he's done it in the past at the collegiate level. Now he's got to prove it at the NFL level. But if you just look at the pedigree of the player, he's got a better chance of being successful than Bailey Zappi in this offense. But this also leads me to two bigger, broader points. So this is further proof that this is going to be an RPO-heavy offense, right? We've seen it throughout the preseason, and now they bring in a guy to the organization that came from an RPO-heavy scheme at the collegiate level. And... We've been over how this can be a good thing for Mac. 19% of his passes came via RPOs his final season at Alabama. 73 of 78, 93.6%. Incredible. 10 TDs, zero interceptions, a 153.8 passer rating. He was incredible. And look, I'm not saying to expect those type of stats at the NFL level. Like, those are insane stats. But he's very capable of being efficient, operating out of RPOs. And last year, just 19 total passes via RPOs. That was 31st in the NFL. And in 2021, even with Josh McDaniels here, it wasn't a big part of the offense, just 32 total passes out of RPOs. So that's the first point. They're actually going to take advantage of one of Mac's strengths, which they haven't really done previously. So the crowd move is also evidence of that, that, hey, this is what they want, a quarterback that can execute out of RPOs. The second bigger, broader point, this is Bill O'Brien's offense. The RPO game, as we alluded to over the past two years, was not there with Mac going back to McDaniels. And the Patriots just brought in a quarterback that can execute the RPO game. This is after they had a rookie play well last year in limited time in Bailey Zappi. Corral is a better fit with O'Brien than Zappi is. That's the reason Corral's here. So this may seem like a fundamental thing. But remember what Bill Belichick said about Josh McDaniels just two years ago. It's kind of like Saban when we were in Cleveland. Nick knew that every what every player on the field was doing. He knew what the guard keys were. He knew what the running back was keying. He knew what everybody on the field was doing. Josh is kind of the same way. He knows what all 11 guys are doing on offense, what their keys are, what their adjustments are, and all that. 
So the point is with Bill, even if the fan base had issues with McDaniels at times, Bill had total confidence in Josh just running this offense. He knew the offense was good in Josh McDaniels' hands, right? And last year, that just wasn't the case with Matt Patricia. And clearly what we're seeing, getting a quarterback that fits O'Brien's system, O'Brien tweaking the offense. Remember, this was not part of the offense last year, the RPO game. He's adding this to the Patriots offense. This is his offense that he's adding to the Patriots offense where they're sort of blending the old McDaniels offense with what Bill O'Brien wants to do. This is all Bill O'Brien's offense. And what we've seen so far is the players seem to really like O'Brien and they seem to trust what he's doing. That's something they didn't have last season, right? So we talk all the time about how we were observing the games and saying this looks just dysfunctional. Imagine being a player going into a game knowing that something just wasn't going to work. So I love the fact that the players trust Bill O'Brien. I love the fact that Bill Belichick has basically handed this over to Bill O'Brien. That's what you want to do so Bill can handle the other stuff, right? Like the in-game coaching, the special teams, help out with the defense. He can do all that different type of stuff. He can be the CEO of the team rather than last year having to be so involved with what this team was doing from an offensive perspective. So I love the fact that this has become Bill O'Brien's offense and it will inspire confidence in the players. Okay, the other thing I wanted to get to in terms of the Pats is what does success look like for the 2023 Patriots, okay? So I'm talking about realistic, fair expectations, right? (laughs) This isn't a Super Bowl or bus team like the Bengals, right? They need to win the Super Bowl. The Chiefs, they need to win the Super Bowl, right? The Eagles, they need to win the Super Bowl. I'm talking about realistic expectations. So if you go back to 2021, the Patriots finished 10 and 7. We all remember Max rookie year. Here are your wins, though. Jets twice. Zach Wilson was the quarterback. He threw four interceptions in one game, two in another. The Texans, they were 4 and 13 that season. They had Davis Mills, right? By the way, the Jets were also 4 and 13 that season. The Chargers with Justin Herbert, who's a good player, but the Chargers that season were 9 and 8. They missed the playoffs. Bill, To Bill's credit, he's had Herbert's number. The Panthers with Sam Darnold, he had three picks. No Christian McCaffrey in that game, remember. And the Panthers that year went 5-12. and 12. They beat the Browns with Case Keenum and Baker Mayfield. No Nick Chubb in that game. So against Carolina, no Christian McCaffrey. And against the Browns, no Nick Chubb. So you can argue two of the best three running backs in the NFL. More on that in a second here. They beat Atlanta, who finished 7-10. and 10. They missed the playoffs. They beat Tennessee. They did not have Derrick Henry going back to this theme, like maybe the three best running backs in the NFL you played that season, none of them played. They also didn't have A.J. Brown, so their two best players were out. So yes, Tennessee made the playoffs that year. That's a playoff team the Patriots beat, but it's kind of misleading when you don't have one of the best receivers in the NFL and one of the best running backs in the NFL. You go to the Bills, the other playoff team the Patriots beat that season, that was in the crazy windstorm where Mack threw the ball three times. And then the Jaguars, who fired Urban Meyer... And they had the number one pick. That's how bad the thing was in Jacksonville, right? So of your wins, your 10 wins, four of the 10 teams or four of your 10 wins came against teams that drafted in the top four. Two against the Jets, Jacksonville, and the Texans. That's four out of your 10 wins. 40% of your wins in 2021 came against teams that selected in the top four, okay? You also had wins over teams that picked sixth and eighth on this list. You had just two wins over playoff teams. One, as we mentioned, was in the windstorm. And one was when a team didn't have a top five receiver and a top three running back in the game. So yes, I'm not trying to like say 2021 was a joke or anything along those lines. I'm just saying it was really fun. But looking back, they didn't have quality wins, right? 
And look, it's good to beat inferior competition. That's what you're supposed to do. A lot of teams cannot do that, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But at some point, you got to beat some of the elite teams in the NFL. And there was a big gap, as we saw once you got to that playoff game against Buffalo. So for this year, the schedule is obviously a lot tougher for the Patriots. If you look at Warren Sharp's site, right, he has the Patriots with the hardest scheduling in the entire NFL. So this is the opposite of what we saw in 2021 when the Patriots made the playoffs. The schedule was a joke, and it got even easier based on some of the stuff we went through, the opponents getting hurt. And so, look, I look at the schedule and I say, just getting into the playoffs, if they can just get into the dance, get into the tournament, that would be a massive success for the 2023 Patriots. And if you just look at it and think about what they're going up against, this gauntlet of a schedule, if you look at EPA per play on offense, going back to last season, the Patriots play the top three teams from last year in EPA per play on offense, the Chiefs, the Bills twice, and the Eagles. So four of your games come against the best three offenses in the NFL from last season from an efficiency standpoint. You have four more games against offenses that ranked between six and 10 in EPA per play. The Dolphins twice, the Giants, and the Cowboys, and the Cowboys offense is better than it was last year by adding Brandon Cooks. So eight of the Patriots' 17 games coming up in this season are against top 10 offenses, more than half of their games. And then you look at the defenses the Patriots play. They play eight games against defenses that ranked in the top 10 last season in EPA per play. The Cowboys, the Eagles, the Commanders, the Jets twice, the Bills twice, and the Broncos. So more than half of your games come against teams that had a top 10 defense last season. So more than half of your games this season come against a top 10 offense, and more than half of your games this season come against a top 10 defense. This is insane. And circling back to Warren Sharp having them as the toughest schedule in the NFL, it makes a lot of sense. So that Patriots team in 2021, despite the numbers saying one thing, it felt like maybe what they did that season was not really sustainable in terms of the win total, right? Like if you peeled back, like I just did, when we peeled that back, we went through the wins. You take a microscope to it. You say, okay, that's probably not a 7-10-7 and seven team. You're probably not repeating that next year. And we all know it got out of control because of the Patricia thing, but you weren't winning 10 games, no matter who was the offensive coordinator last season. So that's why I feel like this 2023 season will be different. One of the issues the defense has had is despite ranking high, they haven't beaten premier offenses. So you have plenty of those on the schedule, right? In terms, we went through it. And on the flip side, the offense has been revamped. And look, a couple of really good defenses, as we mentioned. But just by the math, you're going to have to beat a good amount of really good offenses and a really good, you're going to have to beat a bunch of really good defenses as well. So if you do that, think about the conclusions we would draw. If you make the playoffs with this bear of a schedule, Mac would look like the guy. If you make the playoffs with this schedule, Mac will look like the guy. There's no way that you could get into the playoffs with an average quarterback play this year, with average quarterback play this year, I should say. And if you look at the NFC South, say, for example, like the Bucs, the Saints, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Falcons, they can run as well as anybody in the NFL, right? Desmond Ritter, he doesn't have to be great for them at the quarterback position because their division is so bad that if he doesn't fuck it up and say Atlanta's defense is better than people expect and they stay in games, they have a chance without great quarterback play. We can say the same thing about the Saints with Derek Carr, right? They're going to have a really good defense. They're solid on defense all the time. They can make the postseason. The Patriots don't have that luxury based on the schedule. And with Mac, I'm not saying this means he has to be top 10 in the league in terms of passing yards per game or anything crazy along those lines. It just means 
that at times he's going to have to be part of the reason, a big part of the reason they're winning games, right? He's going to need to be super efficient. The Patriots, despite some of the line issues, they're going to have a good running game. Remember last season, we've given you this number before, but if you look at of running backs with at least 175 carries, Ramondre averaged 3.81 yards after contact. That was second to only Tony Pollard of the Cowboys. So yes, the line has to be better, but you have an elite back and it's also a scheme thing, right? When your running back is getting hit so often behind the line of scrimmage, it's also a massive scheme issue. It isn't just the personnel, right? So the problem the Patriots had last year, it was personnel and it was scheme. This year, scheme shouldn't be an issue. So we all assume the Patriots line is not going to be good. In fact, it could be a liability at times, but you should be able to do enough to scheme it up for Ramondre and Ezekiel Elliott. Okay. So I still believe this running back is running game is going to be really good. So Mac has to be the point guard, distribute the ball, play on schedule, protect the football. This is one of the issues that Mac Jones had last, last season. So if you look at Mac last year in his first five games, obviously he had the absence, came back for a couple series against the Bears. But in those games, his first five, he had seven interceptions. In his final nine games, he had just four interceptions. Okay, three of those came in one game, by the way. And here was the problem. If you look at the final nine games, he averages 222 passing yards per game, very pedestrian in 2022. He had three games where he threw for south of 200. So a third of his final nine games, he was south of 200 passing yards. So I get we can always come back to the Patricia thing. I, I don't want to keep doing it, but I just want to point this out. I think what happened to Mac is early on, because of the turnovers, remember, it felt like Bill was upset with Mac, all these turnovers. It felt like he got too cautious after that. We know Belichick hates turnovers, so I imagine that's part of why he liked Zappi last year, because Zappi wouldn't turn the football over. And we've been over this stuff about how the opponents were easy for Zappi, but Bill doesn't want the quarterback to be turnover prone, and Mac was turnover prone to start the season. And so after that, Mac had to, I would imagine he was worried about his job because of the Zappi success. And I believe that he overcompensated he was in his own head, right? He was overthinking it instead of just playing in those final nine games of the season. So the most encouraging thing is with the preseason and training camp is, and we talked to Callahan about this, Mac feels really good about where he is in this offense. And when you have the confidence, you just play, right? You aren't overthinking it like last year. It was compounded for him where Mac was aggravated with the coaching and the scheme wasn't working for him, right? So he was not playing free in the system and he was in his own head. So that's the case for Mac looking better is just being more comfortable. We know he's comfortable in the system right now. That's not going to be a problem for him. And now it's definitively his job. Like Bailey Zappi, the guy that was backing him up last year, the controversy, they put this guy on waivers. I think that's a good thing for Mac Jones. Like, I know it sounds crazy to say this because they're teammates and all that, but Bailey Zappi going on waivers, that was a good thing for Mac Jones. It gives him even more confidence. It's like, yes, this is my fucking team. None of this shit from last year. This is my team. So success for the Patriots in 2023. 2023. Your quarterback looks like a franchise quarterback and you get into the dance. And then we go from there. But just get back into the tournament. If they get into the playoffs with this schedule, it's going to be awfully impressive. All right, coming up next, I want to get to an email. I want to get to a call. And I do have some leftover thoughts from the Red Sox. We'll do that next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, 
the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into Off the Pike. All right, I have time now for a call, and we have time for an email, so let's get to the call first. That number is 617-396-7172. Who's up first? Brian, it is David from Kentucky, and uh, with Tom Brady Day coming up here in New England, and uh, I actually just started reading uh, It's Better to Be Feared, uh, the book on the dynasty by Seth Wickersham. Uh, I had a, a thought exercise for you, um, excluding Belichick and, and Kraft, obviously. Who are, are, in your opinion, Brady's top ten running mates in his time with the Pats? Uh, so, you know, not, uh, honorable mentions for me are guys like Malcolm Mitchell, a guy whose injury kind of ended his career but was helpful those last couple of years. Uh, Vrabel, uh, dude with automatic, gotta give him a shout out. David Patton, but, uh, you know, 10 to 1, Dion Branch, Kevin Falk, Bill O'Brien, James White, Troy Brown, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, Josh McDaniels, Randy Moss, and then I think, no question, Rob Gronkowski was, was his best running mate. But who are the guys that you think, you know, directly partnered with Brady in his time with the Pats that helped him uh, exceed and excel? Uh, love the show as always. Thanks, and go Pat. All right, appreciate the call. I love the uh, random Malcolm Mitchell shout-out. <laughs> I only played one year for the Patriots. I love it. He was important that year. Brady had to throw him the ball because, remember, Gronk went down with an injury that season they need another pass catching entity if you will we would be remiss if we didn't mention james white who easily could have been the super bowl that atlanta game he was huge there who of course we already had in the pod today james white is on there and so you're counting like offensive coordinators as well as it was kind of like we a producer extraordinaire here jamie mcclellan is with us so I guess we're going like any position here, Jamie, type of thing. Like it could be an offensive that coordinator. That seems to be what David was he, going he threw for. Vrabel in there too, defensive players, offensive players. So I guess we're just talking about like, okay, besides Belichick, like the most important people of the dynasty with Brady. So the well, first dynasty, the you'd, uh, getting Rodney in 03 was massive. Richard Seymour being one of the best defensive players in the NFL during that stretch. Mm-hmm. Ty Law being one of the best corners in the NFL. Brewski being the leader of that defense for all those years. After that, 04, you get Vince Wilfork wins it in his rookie season, mm-hmm. wins it again in 14. He was massive for this team. Devin McCourty's another guy that in the second dynasty kind of gets underrated because that was all about the offense. Another guy that I throw in from that defense during that stretch is Dante Hightower. All that guy did was make huge yeah. plays in Super Bowls, the strip sack of Matt Ryan, the tackle of Marshawn Lynch on second down before the interception from Malcolm Butler. And then you start to think of Stephon Gilmore. I mean, I get he only won one, but he was huge when they got him. They always needed that, like the mm-hmm. hired gun, Darrell Revis, a couple of years previously. So 
And then, like, Gronk and Edelman. Uh, Moss never won a Super Bowl. Welker never won a Super Bowl. So I guess when you're talking about the dynastic runs, as dominant as the 07 team was, they never won. I mean, Troy Brown was so clutch for Brady, and Deion Branch was early in his career as well. I mean, Deion Branch is a Super Bowl MVP. Edelman was a Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. Underrated guy, I would say, is Amendola. Amendola. Yeah, I was going to say that. And I think part of it is the contract. Remember, he was, like, sort of paid to be, like, the Welker replacement and ended up being Edelman as the Welker replacement. But, man, Amendola had huge fucking playoff games. You think about that Jacksonville game? Yes. Gronk was out and Edelman was hurt that season. Gronk went out with a concussion. And Amendola was, like, the only guy Brady was throwing the ball to. So he was clutch for them as well. And then, like... Obviously, you got to mention some of the great offensive linemen they've had through the years, going back to the original dynasty, the Matt Lights of the world, the second dynasty had the David Andrews of the world. Like they, they had great offensive linemen throughout the history of the organization. It's unfortunate that Logan Mankins never won because he's like a Hall of Fame level player. I know. It's so crazy. Like he played here from 05. He was traded in 14. Like he's like Welker wasn't here that whole. Time. This guy was literally here for every year, like in between that they didn't win a Super Bowl. He was a gamer. Like, yeah, he was a great player. So, like, I'm sure I'm missing people, but if we're talking about the top 10, it'd be tough to rank the top yeah. 10, like, the top 10 most important people in the organization. With Like, I wouldn't put Bill O'Brien in there because they didn't win a Super Bowl yeah, with Bill O'Brien. Yeah, Super Bowl. I know you don't like, some guy brought this up a couple weeks ago, but, you know, Vinatieri had some, some big oh, kicks, yeah, I no, would say. Yes, Vinatieri's definitely got to be in there, yeah. for sure. Vinatieri's definitely got to be mentioned in that conversation. There's no doubt I about think, that. That's a good point. I think some, How can I forget some unsung- that? Other unsung hero, I think, is uh, LeGarrette Blunt, who had some big games, yeah. too. You know, a couple rings. That's a good one. That's a good one. It's tough to narrow it down when we're doing ev- I know. everything. I know. Like, we're doing, we're, like <laughs> yeah. we're doing coaching staff. We're doing defensive players and offensive Coaching players. staff would be an interesting one. You know, you got uh, your Skarnekias and McDaniels and Weisses and stuff like that. Skarnekia, okay. yeah. Skarnekia is going to be on the list because they haven't had a lot of bad offensive lines. I know that's a theme that's this year, true. but they have not had a lot of bad offensive lines. And one of the reasons is Skarnekia. And Skarnecki mm-hmm. was just incredible, one of the best position coaches in NFL yeah. history. All right, Jamie, let's transition to the email. Sure. So that email address is offthepike at gmail.com. So what do we got here? We got a Sox one. This is from Barry. Barry writes, Hi, Brian. Great listen and great podcast. Interested to hear your thoughts on Alex Cora's future with the Red Sox. I think he's an excellent manager, but I'm not sure he and Bloom are on the same page. He's clearly frustrated with the roster he's been given, so do you think he wants to stay? It appears a couple times this season he's shown Bloom up, so do you think Bloom wants him to stay? Finally, after hanging around the playoff race for most of the season, the team is in a downward spiral right now, so do you think ownership wants Core to stay? I think if he left, he'd find another job in a minute, but a lot going on with the Old Town team, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, a couple of things. Him and Bloom aren't on the same page all the time. No. I mean, this is crystal clear. Think about Alex Cora, the player. Alex Cora carved out a career as a major league player because he was a great defensive team. He's going out there on a <laughs> nightly basis with a bunch of butchers, right? Now, there's exceptions to the rule. Trevor Story is a great defensive player. Alex Verdugo has had a great defensive season, although I'm not the yeah. biggest Verdugo guy. Connor Wong has a, had a good season behind the plate, right? So it's not like every player on the Red Sox is bad defensively. But in the Bloom era, they have been, and we illustrated this on the Thursday pod, legitimately, unequivocally, the worst defense in Major League Baseball. So that's something where I think that this team needs to get more athletic in the offseason. We can get into that when we get into the offseason. They need better defensive players. So from that perspective, yeah, I don't think they're always on the same page. Now, I also think it would be a bad thing if they always were on the same page. There is supposed to be a healthy debate between the front office and the manager. Like, that should certainly be part of the calculus and... 
I do think that obviously Cora should have say in some of the personnel stuff in terms of some of the changes. And I would say this. I don't think it's a coincidence that after the past couple of years going through relievers left and right, that you had established mm-hmm. major league relievers in Chris Martin and Kenley Jansen this year. I don't think that was like, oh, do you think somebody may have suggested that? Like <laughs> that we get proven entities when it comes to that. Ownership wants Alex Cora to be here. Okay. There's no way, like you don't bring him back after the scandal if you don't want him yeah. to be here. Right. He's one. And I agree with the point, like he would get hired in a second. He's one of the best tactical managers in Major League Baseball. That's why it's such a shame that they're not going to go to the playoffs because he's been really good once you get into the postseason. But with Bloom, I would say that he's on thinner ice than Cora because just how some of this went down where trading deadline, they don't do anything. Again, Three like, years in a row. <laughs> they weren't buyers or they weren't sellers. So you yeah. didn't really, again, you didn't really do much as it pertains to the trading deadline. It's unfortunate like they used to, I don't even remember when they stopped. Well, maybe it was only like three or four years ago. They used to have the second trade deadline. That's how Justin Verlander originally got to the Astros. And I think that would actually be something that would help teams now in Major League Baseball because so many teams at this deadline, August 1st, they still think they're in the wild card hunt. So if you have that second, yeah, if you have that second thing, more teams would be sellers. And maybe some teams like the Mariners would actually be buyers instead (laughs) of sellers. I mean, they've been outstanding in the second half of the season. But if I was going to predict what happens... I believe they're both back, even though there was like Bob Nightingale had a little bit in USA Today that they're looking at Stearns, the guy that's like running the Brewers organization. I don't see Hmm. them moving on from Bloom. Like they've made it this far with them. I think that this next season, if they're not in the playoffs and they're not competitive and he doesn't do the proper stuff in the offseason, like, I don't know, get a starting pitcher, then I do think he'll get shown his walking papers because part of your job, like it's great that you've built out the depth of the organization and you've built out the farm system. Nobody's denying that. But you know what else is part of your job? Building a fucking major league team. Yeah. Okay. That can play defense, that can pitch. We went through this. They've been one of the worst pitching staffs since Bloom has taken over. So that is going to be his fate because we've been sold. We want to be the Dodgers. We want to be a long-term winner. Well, it starts in 2024. It almost started in 2023. 2021, it was really like the players they inherited from the previous era, right? It was like sort of leftover guys. Like, I don't even think they went into that season thinking they were going to be a great team, right? And remember, they really, they got into the playoffs on the last day. The Nick Pavetta walk-off curveball, yeah, curveball to Juan Soto. So I think they'll both be back and we'll see what Bloom does in the offseason. Huge offseason for him. But I think they'll both be back with Brian. I know, like, Haim on the hot seat, but if they don't do well next year, I would say you obviously Haim should probably get out of town. But maybe the same for Cora, too, if it goes badly for one reason or another. Like, it's like a lot of years of, uh, you know, just kind of like bad blood. Like, you can see it on his face. He just looks kind of pissed off. So, another bad season. You think he sticks around if Bloom uh, gets ousted? I think that could actually help him. Yeah. And yeah, I'll say enough. this, too. Like, they're. And I bet the Red Sox would want to go like younger, analytical, although Core is like into the analytics, but um, they, they probably want to go like the younger model like we just saw with Heim Bloom. But one thing I'll say mm-hmm. is like Cora has said that he wants to work in a front office. Well, will Bill Belichick both both jobs? You think? No, no, not you can't do that in Major League Baseball. You'd have to do one or the other. But Cora wants to do that down the oh, road. Yeah. Like he said he doesn't want to be like Tony La Russa, who was managing into his 70s. Yeah, interesting. Okay, I'm down. All right, Jamie. And by the way, you can email us at offthepike at gmail.com. Great stuff, Jamie. Thanks, Ryan.
All right, I did want to get to some additional Red Sox thoughts real quickly because obviously the season is dwindling down for them. I cannot get excited taking two out of three from Kansas City, who's not a very good team right now. The Red Sox still five and a half behind in the wild card. I'm not going to get excited about Chris Sale throwing the ball well, even though the velocity was down because he had his opportunity last week against Houston to go out there and give you a big start. He couldn't do it. That was the whole mess of a game where we saw the Bear Claw game. <laughs> It'll be forever remembered as the Bear Claw game. But I did have some thoughts left over, and one of them is about Adam Duvall, because if you look at his last 12 games entering play on Sunday, he had seven home runs during that stretch. That was second in Major League Baseball during that run there. Now he's at eight. And if you look at his batting average during that stretch, and this is entering play Sunday, 422 average over his last 12, that was fourth. His on-base percentage was 480, that was 10th. 1022 slug second, 1502 OPS, that was second. And he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. We all remember, one-year deal. And I want him back. And this isn't me being a prisoner of the moment, because if you look at it now, he has 19 home runs in 74 games. He's not a center fielder. We understand this, right? But he can still play the corners. Remember, he won a gold glove as a corner outfielder. 16 defensive runs saved. And I get it. This year, the numbers aren't great defensively in center, minus nine. But he's not a center fielder. He should be playing one of the corner spots. But the Red Sox don't have a center fielder because Alex Verdugo <laughs> wasn't a good enough center fielder. He cannot play center field, right? So you just look at it in terms of last year, he's at plus nine in terms of his defensive run saved. So I just look at it. We've now seen two different stretches that he has completely gone off this season, right? If you look at him. So legit pop, and if you look at the fact that this season, he has clobbered right-handed pitching as a right-handed hitter. 6-12 slugging percentage entering play Sunday against righties. That's third behind Otani and Seager. <laughs> 9.58 OPS, ninth, 3.35 isolated power, fourth, 17 of his home runs off righties. So he is absolutely, and by the way, to remind you, ISO is just, you take slugging percentage and you subtract it from batting average. It tells you basically how often the guy is hitting for extra bases. It's a good metric to measure your power. He's fourth against righties this season. So the numbers have always been good from a power perspective against lefties. And this year he's hitting righties insanely well. And you look at him compared to Verdugo. Verdugo left the game, by the way, on Sunday with a hammy issue. It looked like a cramp, but he said he felt something. And I would imagine they're not going to play him in the next couple of days. But anyway... Verdugo this season, we've given him a lot of credit for the improved defense. Fifth among outfielders in defensive runs saved at 13. But overall, you look at Verdugo. He has good numbers against righties, but Duvall's slugging 100 points better than Verdugo against righties. And remember, Verdugo's a left-handed hitter, and his OPS is about 100 points higher, Duvall's is, than Verdugo's against right-handed pitching. And then Verdugo, we know he can't hit lefties. 223 on the season against lefties. That's 132nd out of 153 qualified hitters. He can't hit lefties. Never has been able to. His 308 slugging percentage against lefties is 144th of those 153 qualified hitters. And the thing about Verdugo, I mentioned this earlier, he can't play center field. Duvall, as we mentioned, he can play a corner as Verdugo can play corner, right? Verdugo's had a great season. I'm not trying to take that away from him. From a defensive perspective, he's had a great season. I'm not trying to take that away from him. But if you look at it, Duvall, as I mentioned, 19 home runs in 74 games. Verdugo is tied for his career high in home runs with 13. He's played in 124 games. So six less home runs in 50 more games than Adam Duvall. Here's the problem. Verdugo's in the final year of his contract in terms of Final year of arbitration this upcoming offseason. Duvall's a free agent, as we all know. And I know he's dealt with injuries, 
But he can do something that Verdugo has never proven he can do. Adam Duvall, on multiple occasions, has carried the offense for two weeks. I want my corner outfielders, okay? Because Verdugo isn't a center fielder. He's proven he cannot play center field. Like, Verdugo's numbers would be really good from an offensive perspective, the lefties things notwithstanding. But his overall numbers would be fine if he's a center fielder. He's not. He's a corner outfielder. You're never going to get the offensive production in terms of the power from Verdugo that you get from Duvall. And I want my corner outfielders tit for power, as I was alluding to. So I would see what you can get for Verdugo. Now, the problem is the market's not going to be great. He's a 28-year-old corner outfielder that hits for no power, and he can't hit lefties. And maybe most importantly, he's had motivational issues. Like the manager has had to call him out publicly after a season to get him motivated to get into shape. But I'm just sort of done with that chapter. I'm done having Alex Verdugo be a member of this organization because I just, you got to go through the motivational stuff all the time. Would anybody feel comfortable giving Alex Verdugo an extension? I certainly wouldn't. He's not the type of player that I like. Motivational issues, no power as a corner outfielder. And I would like the outfield next year to look like this. Duran in left. And Duran has improved as a defender, but he's not a center fielder either, right? Right field last year, he had his issues. But this year, when he plays the corner, he's fine. It's just in center field, he hasn't been a great defensive player. He's improved, but he's not good in center field. Minus five defensive run save, but he can play a corner. So I'd like him in left. And then I would like Duvall as one of your corner outfielders. You need Duran in the lineup every day. You do. I mean, Duran is just, he brings something to this team that nobody else does in terms of the speed. We've seen all the singles. He turns into doubles. He can swipe bags, all that different type of stuff. So I would like those two guys to be your corner outfielders, Duran and Duvall. And then I would just start the season with Rafaela in center. This guy is a plus-plus defender. He's going to give you elite-level, gold-glove caliber center field. I would just start that out with, I mean, he's an athletic freak show. And by the way, tiniest sample size is since he's come up three for eight at the big league level. His minor league numbers this year, 302, 349, 520, 870. There will be an adjustment period, just like we see all the time in Major League Baseball. But the defense is elite, and the defense is elite in center field, not in a corner outfield spot. So I would just like to get him up and see what he does in terms of what he can do with the bat, but bring up that defense. Because we talk about it all the time. The defense has been so bad during the high and bloom era. Get up an elite defensive player. And then you have guys like, we know, Ref Snyder, still phenomenal, and he's under contract, by the way. That was actually a smart piece of business that the Red Sox did. 317 against lefties this season, 437 OBP against lefties that's first in major league baseball among qualifiers still first in major league baseball among qualifiers so he's going to play against lefties and then that's a way to give Duvall some rest and then you have like Abreu showing some stuff with the bat as well maybe that's a guy that is on your bench as well or at least play if he's going to be on your bench you probably don't want that but you can get depth outfield you get my point but and ref Snyder's a specialist is going to play against lefties and then that allows you to DH Yoshida right because you cannot have Yoshida play left field He's at minus eight defensive runs saved in the outfield this year. That is 89th of 97 outfielders that have played at least 500 innings. He's a major liability out there. And if you look at it, he's played 598 innings entering play Sunday. All the guys below him on this list that are worse than him in defensive runs saved, they're all over 700. He's at 598. So he would be even worse if he played more innings. So I'd like Yoshida to DH. I'd see what you can get from Verdugo. Now, the only problem is Verdugo, remember... He was on the market at the trading deadline. They took him off the market, essentially, because they didn't like the return. I don't think you're going to get much back for the player, but I think you're just going to move on from that era because he's never going to be a long-term piece. I'd rather Duvall back on a short-term deal. And Duvall has liked his time here 
in Boston. And Duvall can obviously see this team's going to be a lot better next year than it has been this year. I'd like Duvall back, and I'd like to move on from Verdugo, play Duran and left, play Rafaela every day at second base. Then you have Ref Snyder as your depth outfielder. You figure the rest out from there. But I would move on from Verdugo, and i do everything I can to bring back Duvall in a short-term deal. The one other Red Sox-related note I want to mention real quick. Tristan Casas, second half of the season, entering play Sunday, 338 average, eighth, 436 on base, sixth, 669 slug, second, 1105 OPS, third, 331 isolated power, seventh, 13 home runs, tied for eighth, 14.1% walk rate, 12th, barrel percentage, 15.7%, 18th. He has been one of the best offensive players in Major League Baseball in the second half of the season. And for all the shit that we've gone through this year watching the Red Sox, this and Brian Bayo's development, these are the two most important things that have happened from the organization because you have a young pitcher under control and you have a legit bona fide power hitter under control. And the one thing I'll say about Casas, he's never going to be a gold glove caliber defensive player. He's now at minus three defensive run save, but at one point this year, that was over five. His defense has improved. He's not super rangy, but he's shown an ability to pick the ball. I think he can stay there at first base, play there long term and I think this is going to be a guy that's hitting 30 home runs a season so if you're looking at a a glimmer of hope this season it would be Tristan Casas but that's what I would do next year if I'm if I'm the Red Sox I would look at this outfield I'd say I got to get rid of Verdugo and I got to keep Adam Duvall that's what I'd be doing I love Duvall as a player this is not an overreaction to what he's done recently he can play good defense in a corner outfielder spot and you need that type of pop in your lineup it's something the Red Sox were missing obviously in the 2022 season as it pertains to home runs. I love Duvall. I'd love to have him back here next year. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, hope is here, visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 877 8 Hope and Why or text Hope and Why. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease. And the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, 
You don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.